0: hello there and welcome to main fight club i'm your host manny galarza today we're talking about pfl number nine as part of the 2022 pfl playoffs we got four playoff bouts on this card 13 in total a very unique format we got the prelims then we got the main card then we've got a handful like six bouts on the post limb card at the end we'll do a whole summary of our picks and then we'll also talk about some parlay pieces you might want to consider let's jump into it guys here we go Up next, we have a lightweight fight between Omar Hussein, who goes by 187, and Alexander Shizov. Before I get started here, if you go on Typology, you're gonna see Alexander Shizov, spelled A L E X A N D R C H I Z O F. That's not the only spelling of his name on the internet, and you shouldn't be surprised. He's obviously Russian descent. He's also now based in Latvia. a bunch of changes to his profile. But the point is this. If you go to SureDog.com, you'll see his more accurate profile. He's actually 9-1 and overall. I'll go over that profile for you guys right here so you have the more accurate information. So he is 24 years old. We don't have that on Tapology. 5'11 is what he's listed in one of his prior fights. Though I will say this. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a tad bit taller. He seems to be a very tall, long fighter. No reach number on him. He does train with Kamzat Chemaev and Till and all those boys. If you go on IG, check out his page. They spent a lot of time together, it seems like, both in the uh, training room and also outside. So it seems to be pretty close with those guys. You imagine he's getting some good training. So as for Omar Hussein, close by 187. He's 9-3 three overall. 3-2 three in his last five fights. He hails from Palestine. He's now based out of Sacramento, California, 26 years old. six foot one in height, so should be a few inches taller. But I, I want to emphasize, should be. I'm not surprised if they do a face-off and they're like one inch apart or maybe the same height. For Omar, he trains out of Team Alpha Male. Excellent gym. As for the votes coming in on topology, Hussein is the big favorite, getting 75% of the votes, only 25% coming in for Shizov. I do like Hussein as well, so for the short breakdown here, I like Hussein. I think he out-wrestles his way for a victory. For the more thorough breakdown, hang around here. We'll go in the background of each fighter. We'll talk more about their profiles. For Shizov, you think of him as a Russian fighter, so that might distract you. And if you don't look at his prior fights, you think, you know, he's a Russian fighter. He's going to wrestle you, whatnot. He doesn't mind being on the ground. He's a very long frame, though. He's very thin. His best way of beating someone is on the feet at range, striking. So he's not the prototypical Russian or Dagestani Russian in terms of how he fights. For Omar Hussein, he's okay on the feet, works off his back foot too much. For him, he also needs a certain path to victory. And for him, it's on the ground. He needs to do some grappling, some wrestling, some top control. And then from there, everything else is sort of vanilla. He's not an amazing submission artist, not a great finisher. I expect this fight probably makes its way at least into the second half of the fight round two and a half to round three, if not going to decision for Shizov has fought okay competition, but the long and short of it is I do like Hussein here. I like him winning by decision. Now looking at the background, these two fighters, let's talk first about Omar Hussein. He had an eight and three amateur record. Now check this out. His last two amateur wins were both by split decision. Okay, whatever, no big deal. But then he lost his last amateur fight. Not the best way to finish your amateur career. If you catch my drift, So he wasn't very dominant as an amateur fighter. Went professional 2017, he fought in UAE warriors for most of his career, not all of his career, but like his last six, seven fights have been in UAE Wars, which is a decent promotion. If you look on his topology, you have to look closely. Those canceled fights are in gray and sometimes thinner. Bellator 258, he was all signed up to fight Storley. He ends up medical issue, a big loss of an opportunity because that would've been his first fight into a major promotion. He fights out of both a right-handed stance and a left-handed stance. I'm not sure which one he likes the most. He'll go back and forth. It is a nice way to keep your opponent off balance. Some prior fights to talk about for him. Muhammad El Jaldal. Jaldal is seven and six overall. We're talking about a 500-level fighter fighting a lower promotion. He won that fight via Dar's Choke this year. That was his last fight. So you see he's got some submission ability. Prior fight he lost last year to Wism Hamami. Hamami is 7-1 overall, pretty good prospect. Now going back a few years, Tahir Zuraev, I'm going to bring up this fight because I watched the fight and it's available, the link's down below. 2019 decision win, Tahir is 3-1 overall and hasn't fought in two years, you're going to assume maybe he's hung it up. It was a back and forth fight, both guys had their moments, Tahir had some grappling ability, had some striking ability, I thought at times neither guy did enough to basically pull away from each other. He won the fight by decision, one thing that really popped out to me was that Omar Hussein was trying to get takedowns at some point, like round one, round two, very effective gets one late in round three to kind of help solidify that round but he wasn't very effective at times at trying to actually get those takedowns early on so if you're pretty good at defending takedowns and you're fighting him you should be okay now what do i like about omar number one he has displayed some finishing ability what i mean some like he's not a high rate finisher but he does have finishing ability he has a four and two record in ua warriors which is a decent promotion you like to see that now what are my concerns for him well number one submission defense may be a chink in the armor for example of his three losses two of those by submission small sample size yes but that could be an issue. He's also very inconsistent with his record. Like he'll win a fight, lose a fight. His last four or five fights, that's how it's been. Like he'll win a fight, lose a fight back and forth. Most of his wins are over very inexperienced fighters or fighters that are not very good. Fighters carrying like a 500 or below record. At times he works too much off of his back foot. If he's got a guy who's pressuring him, he will just gladly back up the entire time, allow his back to get against the cage. He won't push any pace. I don't like that, especially in a close fight, his willingness to be the person working off of his back foot. Now as for Alexander Shizov, now based out of Latvia. So born in Russia, now in Latvia. Now here's what tipped me off to his profile being incorrect on Tapology. If you go on Tapology, it's got like a one no record. I'm like, wow, this guy's got very little experience. I get it, okay, prelim fight. But then it said like last fight was 2007. And I'm like, hell no, there's no way this guy had a 15 year layoff. I'm like, there's something not right here. And then if you go around the internet and start searching up Alexander Shizov, you're gonna find some other spellings of his name and I came across his profile on SureDog.com. The link to that profile is down below, the correct profile for him, where it shows he's got a nine and one record. If you see here on YouTube, I spelled it out the way that it comes up. It's Alexander Chizov's, but whatever. Tomato, tomato, that's what I was able to cover. I was able to cross check his record on SureDog.com to look up some prior fights to see if like, okay, that is him. And so, first of all, Vitaly Stoyan. When you search Vitaly Stoyan versus our man Chizov, you do find the fight, 2021, last year, a round one TKO win that was, his Last fight, Stoyan is nine and five overall. It was close early on in round one until he just lands a very nice short left hook. It reminds me of the Pereira left hook that took apart Strickland, so it was very nice. Showed some power against Stoyan, nine and five overall. Okay, fighter. Prior fight, Oleg Kachaturov 2021 split decision win. Oleg is eight and four overall in his career. Round one was close with both guys going back and forth. I think that's the round that became the split round because at the end of the round. What you see is that even though Oleg had top control, he had more position control over our man Alexander here, Alexander clearly did more damage, and you saw that there was facial damage to Oleg bleeding and whatnot, whereas Alexander had no facial damage, but again, had given up position control. The reason why he got taken down, actually, in that fight was he did a spinning back kick, real sloppy. Gets his bag taken, gets taken down. So, you know, maybe just an amateur move needs to be careful of doing that against better competition. He's got a high finish rate, 88% finish rate to be exact. So eight of his nine wins have been by finish, six by TKO, and two by submission. Tells us that he's more looking to knock you out with some kind of a strike. And not so much via submission. You can be distracted when you see Russian, Russian fighter, They can Dagestani wrestler. Again, this guy likes to stand up and strike. He's longer and taller. Has very nice reach. He tends to be the longer fighter. It says he'll be shorter in this fight. But needless to say, he works at range. That's where he works the best. He stays active off his back. So if you do take him down, bring him to the ground. He will stay active, throwing elbows, trying to look for submissions, triangle chokes, whatnot. So at least if he's on his back, he does stay active. I'd rather him try to get back up but at least he's doing something off his back. Now, my concerns for him. First of all, I wanna see him more active. He hasn't fought in about a year. It could be a year in September. At this point in your career, at this age, you wanna be more active, you should be more active. He also had a two-year layoff, from 2019, 2021. So not sure where the layoffs, that's not, again, a recipe for success when you're a young fighter. I would like to see him be more active. He could get exposed to a good grappler. He stands very tall. Easy for double leg takedowns or trips or any kind of taekwondo moves to trip him to the ground. I just feel like his takedown defense is very questionable. Omar is not an amazing wrestler, but he's good enough, I believe, to give some problems to Alexander. He gets a little bit too comfortable for my liking working off of his back. Hopefully, he's gotten that out of his system. He can get a bit sloppy with his striking. When you're long and tall, you get sloppy off balance. You're easy to take down. He's be careful of that. In conclusion, I'm going to take Hussein to win the fight. It's low level. The line's not even out yet. I speculate the line will be around what you see on the screen. So I'm speculating currently he's going to be around minus 175 for Omar Hussein, around plus 140, plus 150 for Shizov. I wouldn't be surprised if he opens up as just a pick him. But that's where I think it belongs at. I do see Omar having, again, a path to victory. Wrestling, takedowns, control. If you like Chisov, you're going to say, well, he has a path of victory because he's got better hands and better striking, and he can hurt Omar. I just feel like Omar Hussein has the easier path of victory, is the better wrestler. And he's going to use that to win the fight. From a betting perspective, I would actually look at the fight going like over two and a half, going the distance. That would be the better bet than taking either side because they're so closely matched. If I had to pick a side, I bet maybe a half unit on Omar Hussein and hope that the line opens up more like a pick him instead of the minus 175. That's your breakdown, boys and girls. Go look with this fight. Moving up to the next fight in the card, it's gonna be a heavyweight battle at 265 pounds between Stuart Austin, who goes by He-Man, and Sofian Bochiau, or Bociao, not really quite sure. He goes by El Toro. Mr. El Toro is nine and four overall, three into his last five fights. He hails from France. Six foot three in height, no reach number on him. Having watched prior to film, I'm gonna guesstimate his reaches in the same ballpark as Stuart Austin. So around 77, 78 inches, seems to have pretty good size arms. He trains out of boxing squad. As for He-Man, Stuart Austin, he's 15 and eight overall. Two and three in his last five fights. Bit of a rough stretch. Based out of England, 34 years old. Six foot three in height, 77 inch reach. We don't have age listed here for Sophion. I don't have an age number on him. I watched some prior fights, but they didn't list it on the introductions. But if you know the age, by the way, please comment down below, that'd be helpful. As for Stuart Austin, he's based out of Titan Fighter gym. Look at the numbers on Tapology. Bo Chiao, or Bo Chiao, is the favorite right now getting 65% of the votes, 35% coming in for Austin. You know, this fight is probably the second hardest one to pick on the card. I thought the earlier one with Marcin was gonna be tough. This one is just as hard. And I think what I ended up finding myself doing is i'm not going to pick a fighter to win from a betting perspective i'll tell you right now i'm going to choose i'm going to take Stuart austin here i'm going to choose Stuart austin no i'm going to go safian i think safian will find the chin at some point so i'm going to go with safian to win the fight but here's the thing the safest bet in my opinion the best way to make some money in this fight is take the fight simply not starting round three or the fight not going the distance. You've got two guys who have a history of durability issues. We'll go over that more when we go over the full breakdown. But just to get it out the way for the people that want to fast forward and keep moving, I'm going to choose Safiyan to win the fight by TKO. I think he somehow touched the chin of Stuart Austin. But I'll tell you what, Stuart Austin is due for a win. He's got some decent grappling skills. If he can keep this thing close, at least get the hell out of round one, he's been finished in round one the last two times he's been out there, then maybe he's got a shot. Cardio-wise, I don't know what Stuart will look like because we haven't seen him late in fights. As for Sofian, I've seen him in fights where he looks a little bit slow. This fight, very uncomfortable about choosing a winner, but again, I'm going to go with Sofian Stotts to win the fight by TKO. The best bet, though, the best angle to bet here would be like the fight start not starting round three when that prop comes out, or the fight knock going the full distance. I'm a little worried that when the props come. Out. it's going to be chalky, but if that fight prop for the fight knock with a full distance is anything under minus 300, I'll be looking to parlay Alright, back to these two fighters here. Let's talk about Stuart Austin first. Had an 0-1 amateur record, when professional in 2010, so been a pro for about 12 years. He fought in EFC, BA, MMA, Cage Warriors, and Bellator. He made his PFL debut this year. Unfortunately, he's currently 0-2 in the PFL and has lost both fights via knockout in round one. The Pereira fight, which we'll talk about in a second, he got knocked out, like flash knockout right away, one-two punch, that was the end of it. His last fight was against Bruno Capeloza. That was this year. Round 1 KO loss he gets bullied that's the best way to put it like he gets taken down he gets put against defense you can see capeloza has no respect for this guy's power is not worried about getting hit at all and then eventually capeloza lands a few really hard overhand rights like hard overhand rights that for some reason stewart's not adjusting to like a just simple like huge overhand right he does it like three or four times eventually the fight gets to the ground and you see capeloza just destroy him on the ground tons of ground and pound he doesn't necessarily knock out austin but he hurts him enough the referee steps in and stops the fight tough showing there for stewart not much to say other than the fact that he got Overwhelmed by a guy who's a better fighter than him, a higher level. His prior fight against Renan Ferreira, also this year, got KO'd in round one. It was a simple jab followed by a right hand. Uh, you kind of think he should have seen it. Then again, Ferrer is very long. He can kind of creep up on you. You think you're at safe distance. Next thing you know, he's he's knocking you out. One-two punch. That was it. Ferrer did come over, I think, to attempt maybe one or two shots, but he stopped. Referee jumped in. And it's legit stoppage, legit knockout. Going into that fight, I broke that fight down. And I already thought this guy, Stuart Austin, had shown some chin ability issues before. 0-2 oh, in the PFL. Got knocked out both times. Now looking back further in this topology, some names I want to bring up. Johnny Walker. He fought him four years ago. 2018. Lost round one via KO. <laughs> of course, Walker's in the, in the UFC. He also fought Tom Aspinall. And this is crazy right now because he won. He beat Tom Aspinall. He can go to his grave. He can go and tell his grandkids, his grandkids, grandkids. I once beat Tom Aspinall, who was a legit heavyweight contender at some point in the UFC. I beat him by submission. 2015 round two in W, I'm sorry, in B, A, MMA, and I believe, was that a, I want to look it up because I believe it was something like a, a heel hook or something, yes, a heel hook, not to poo-poo on the man's parade, but uh, it's not as if he knocked the guy out, he won by a heel. But that's his claim to fame. He beat Tom Aspinall. He also fought Dalcha Lingambula 2017, got knocked out by him in round two. Like I said, if you look at his topology, he's got a history of getting knocked out. Now what's to like here about Stuart Austin? Whenever I see the name Stuart, I think about Stuart Little, Little Stewie. Mr. Austin, he's a pretty good wrestler, and usually wrestling has to be part of the game plan for him to be safe enough to get to the scorecards or find a way to get a win. If the fight ends quickly, that usually involves him being woken up. Get my drift. So I think he needs to wrestle at some point and use that wrestling to get the fight into round two, round three. He got cracked several times by Capeloza before he ends up getting grinded out on the ground. Remember, I said before, he wasn't KO'd, like knocked out, like silly knockout. That was the Renan Ferreira knockout. It was more of just getting beat up on the ground. But before that, he got wobbled. He got dazed and confused a few times by Capeloza's hard overhand right. Just not a good showing overall. He has shared the cage with a lot of good fighters, though, over the years. He's been in there with some tough guys, and even in the Kapiloza fight, you could say, well, it didn't adjust to those overhand rights. At the same time, he took three or four or five of those shots and still was in there until he wasn't in there no more on the ground. But you get my point. He's able to stay in there for some part of that fight. He showed some level of taking a few punches. He has been in there with guys like Aspinall, has shared the cage with some good opponents overall. So from that standpoint, you got to give him to him at least to give him the veteran's nod. You know, he's not just a guy coming up the street who's never been fighting before, didn't have any experience. He does have some experience. He doesn't have an impressive finish rate. I understand that. But he does have some finishes, more specifically by TKO than submission. Now, what are my concerns here for Stuart Austin? Well, the obvious one the car, the durability, uh, the, the chin. I mean, getting knocked out, losing that way so often, he's been knocked out twice already this year. It's his third fight. He very well can get knocked out here again. That's a lot. And I even wonder from the PFL's perspective, like are they worried about the situation here with this guy? And could you even bring this guy back next year with this kind of situation? He's got very poor striking technique. That's why I said before, the ground game has to be where he hangs his hat on it. On the feet, it, it's slow. He's looking for the perfect punch at times. Matter of fact, when he got clipped by Bruno Capaloza that led to the eventual knockdown and, and getting to the ground, he like is standing there. Like He's standing. He's staring. Same thing with Ferreira. He's standing, like looking for the, and he's got his right hand balled up tight. You see, he's like really clenched up. And next to you, know, he's getting tagged. So he'll stand and stare and look for the perfect shot instead of letting his hands go. And uh, that's just, you know, that could be stage fright. That could be nerves in the octagon. You you forget your technique. He has fucking competition. I mentioned before, at the same time, he tends to come up short against the competition with Tom Aspinall being the one outliner. Everything else, when he fates better guys, guys that are decent, guys that can push him a little bit, he tends to look pretty poor. Look at Renan Ferreira. Had an okay season in the PFL. Obviously got eliminated from the playoffs. When they fought, he made Ferreira look unbelievable. And people were buying into the hype. Oh, man, Ferreira. Ferrer was like minus 700 his next fight, and he ends up losing against Clayson, uh, right? Clayson, Eba, whatever his name is. Bottom line is this. He's a guy who is on a, a bit of a rough stretch. That's the nice way to put it. A bit of a rough stretch. I don't know what he's got left in the tank. I don't know what his future is at this point. He's not too old for a heavyweight, not by any means, but he's got to show some level of getting through a fight, getting to round three, being able to take a few punches. As for Safian Bokiao, he fought in UAE Warriors, Cage Warriors, and Aris FC, part of this promotion this opportunity he went professional 2014 so been a pro for about eight years he fought Tom Aspinall so both guys have fought Tom Aspinall but this one was a little bit more of a different outcome 2019 three years ago he goes and kicks Tom Aspinall in the leg I can't say for sure what kind of injury he sustained he immediately reaches down for the leg and goes to the ground you see Tom Aspinall do like some gestures appeared as if it was the similar type of injury that Conor McGregor suffered the one that Anderson Silva suffered the one that Craig the one that Weidman suffered but I'm not sure the extent of that. Like there's multiple bones there. Could he have broken one bone? I I don't know. I didn't see the leg go into squirmish mode. It seemed pretty bad. The fight was immediately stopped and he loses the fight to Tom Aspinall. Put that in the back of your mind. Fragileness, right? Fragility. He then comes back though, like nine months later (laughs) in the same year and fights again and gets knocked out the next fight. So I have to imagine that leg injury may not have been as catastrophic as I originally thought because that injury has stopped people's career. He came back within nine months. He fought Luke. Negleka 2022 this year round one rear naked choke win that was in uae warriors i did not watch the fight but it's a nice finish for him round one then again luke is only six and four overall his prior fight pelu adetola 2022 also this year another rear naked choke win also in uae warriors pillow is eight and two eight and ten overall so not the best record two guys where you combine their records pretty much around 500 he fought muhammad juma and I had to look this fight up because when you go on topology, you see that he, lo- he won the fight by fishhook. And you're like, fishhook? What you, what's going on with this fishhooking? Well, the link is down below if you guys want to watch the fight. I'll save you the time if you want to just hear what happens. But they're going back and forth and fighting. And all of a sudden, he's got Juma against the fence. He's going for a double leg takedown. So his head's down by the hip area. And you hear Juma scream out like, ah! And the referee comes over like, what's going on? And he's like he bit my hand he bit my hand so juma is accusing our boy safian of biting his hand or biting his fingers or something like that referee comes in like doesn't really understand what's going on fight continues and then i guess it happens again another type of similar situation where there's a similar type of uh, posture and Safiyan is going for a takedown. His head's down. <laughs> this guy now is putting his fingers in his mouth. Juma is trying to put his fingers in his mouth, trying to fish hook him, but he screams to try to act like he's getting bit again. Referee sees it this time. He's right in on it and ends up disqualifying Juma for that. Now, Muhammad Juma, if you don't remember, he did fight this year in the PFL, in the PFL Challenger Series, and yeah, he didn't do well there. He lost. So yeah, that was a weird opponent, but uh, a fight you couldn't decipher much from because Sofyan was basically dealing with guys putting fingers in his mouth. That seems, seems kind of weird. Now, Omar Kane, 2019, round two, TKO loss. Just double-checking my records here. That is his last loss. That was a loss right after losing to Tom Aspinall. This guy, Omar Kane, man... This guy came out here in that fight, was super aggressive, built like a gorilla. And I mean that, like I'm not trying to be racial, he's black, but like Jack, muscles on top of muscles, and he comes out, he grabs on Stott, slams him. I mean, like they're slamming people to the ground, and they're like driving them through the floor. He was driving him to the floor hit him on hit him hit him with the floor several times in round one was just dominating sofian i can't believe sofian got even to round two i give him that he showed some toughness because he was getting pounded on the fight looked like it was about to get stopped at one point in round one round two comes out it's the same thing this dude will not get off of sofian he's coming forward in his face eventually sofian is like backing up to the point where he's almost tripping and falling he goes to the ground referee just comes in and stops it not because sofian is like knocked out it's just this guy is all over him. He won't back off him. A pretty bad matchup for him. This guy, Umar Kane, who I think now is like eight and one or nine and two or something like that, seems to be a pretty good prospect. This was an RSFC. The fight was being held in Africa. Yeah, just overall top to bottom. What you see in that fight is Sophion does not do very well with a very powerful bigger heavyweight who comes forward. This is heavyweight division, but Sophion's not like a 265-pounder. He's more of a lighter heavyweight. So when you get a guy who's super duper big, like that guy coming forward, it's a recipe for disaster for him. Now, what's the like about Sophion? Pretty good finish rate of his nine. wins, six are by finish, four by submission, two by TKO. He's also a smaller heavyweight, mentioned before, so what he hangs his hat on is being more agile. Both guys, actually, both guys here are not the full-size, full clip heavyweights. A little more agile, a little more light on the feet, which tends to get more action, I believe, because with those big, big guys, we get to round two, round three, they tend to slow down quite a bit. With these guys, as long as cardio checks out, we should see a little bit more athleticism than the typical heavyweight matchup. Now, what are my concerns here for Sofian? Well, he got severely out-wrestled in that fight we just talked about against Kane. I mean, it was severely out-wrestled. Granted, it may have been a weight factor but he looked like a fish out of water he does not react well to forward pressure same fight we're referring to with the cane fight but if you just come at this guy and push him forward his back goes up against the fence he seems to have very poor survival skills not the greatest dirty boxing i'm not sure Stuart austin wants to do that because austin doesn't want to really be in there too close i think he wants to work more from range but if you were to pressure Sophion, that seems to be something he has a hard time dealing with and he has displayed poor cardio i noticed this recently on sulfion fights you get him into round two or round three he's not the same fighter will start making mistakes i believe he's kind of guy where you can tap him out just because of the cardio you can wear on him the question though is with Stuart austin does he have cardio we don't know the last two fights got knocked out in round one we watched a handful of fights to bring on this film those fight links are down below as per our free video library but in conclusion here's what i think i think it's a tough fight to call I think betting either side is almost like flipping a coin. I'm gonna lean ever so slightly with Sofian to win the fight because I believe the chance of getting the chin, chin checking my man, is his path to victory. But I acknowledge if we get into round two, we get into round three, I do think Stuart Austin may have better cardio. May, I'm not sure, but I'm not sold on Sofian's cardio. We get to round two, round three, anything's possible. The person who invests in some grappling and some ground attacks, maybe that's Stuart Austin, could also make a big difference. I'll tell you what though, if Stuart Austin wants to stand and trade or do any of that kind of trading, he's gonna get knocked out. I mean, he very well may not likely have recovered from the last two knockouts. He got knocked out twice this year. We're only in August, do the math. That's been knocked out. He's gonna get knocked out, what, three times now in nine months? So he's getting knocked out every three months. I'm not a brain scientist, but I'm thinking that's probably not, you know, recovery time is not there. If he gets slightly touched up at some point by Sophion, and if that happens early in round one when Sophion's still got his energy level, I see him winning the fight that way. Long story short, we got a guy with a glass chin. We got a guy who's got a glass a lot of stuff, glass lower leg, broke that on Tom Aspinall, doesn't do well when you pressure him. These guys, they're not very durable. Listen to the warning here. Don't pick a side. I'm learning my lesson myself. Don't pick a side. Take the prop of the fight, not starting round three. If it's not too chalky and then of course the pri- the prop of the fight knock on the distance my only fear with that prop as i'm talking about it, is they're not out yet and they get released and it's like minus 500 if it's like a minus 500 spot for the fight knock on the distance don't parlay that because it's just you know i've done it before and it seems to always blow up in my face all of a sudden you got a fight where it gets drawn out they both get tired of laying on each other but if you want to look at a prop like i said fight knock on the distance fight not starting round three that's your breakdown let's move on All right, the main card should open up with a light heavyweight bout at 205 pounds between Simeon Powell, who goes by Smooth, and Jao Paulo Fagundos, who goes by King. This is a late last minute change. It's so about a one week notice here for Jao Paulo Fagundas, who is undefeated at seven and you do like to see that, six foot one in height. We do lack some information on him, and film was hard to find, though we did come up with some film, which we'll talk about in a second. He trains at a gym called Kimura, as for Simeon Powell, who goes by smooth, 6-0, also undefeated, fought recently in PFL, so this will be a second fight in the PFL. He hails out of England, 23 years old, very young, and a very impressive prospect, 6'5 in height, 80-inch reach, trains out of Titan Fighter Gym. The guy seems to have all the physical tools. Now it comes down to refining cardio, getting better at defending ground attacks, getting better on the ground. Now, as for the public votes and topology, Powell is a huge favorite, getting 85% of the votes, only 15% coming in for Vagundos. I get it. I understand why. The money line, (laughs) I'll tell you what, minus 650 right now, currently for Powell. On the other side, you've got Fagundas at plus 450. I'll get out of the way right now. I'm going to be putting a small amount of money on Fagundas. Dogger pass type of pick here. I do see some holes in the game of Samun Powell in terms of the way he fights. For example, let's go back to his last fight. He gets a win. On topology, you see it says round three knee, four minutes, 38 seconds over Clinton Williams. He may have been losing up to that point. He was a big favorite in that spot. What did Clint Williams do? He came out there and he made it greasy. He made it ugly. He squashed that range. When you're fighting a guy with that kind of range, the solution is to make it up close and tight. When you look at the film of Joao paulo fagundas the limited film we do see he does get some body locks he does get some takedowns now against what kind of competition that's questionable but he does have that in his arsenal now most of the time he wants to stand and bang but if fagundas came in here and was training recently and was getting ready for a fight can he get a body lock here and drag this big big guy to the ground and spend some time on top absolutely i imagine that Simeon powell at range will have the advantage he'll have the reach advantage he'll have the striking advantage A lot of beautiful strikes, leg kicks, body kicks, head kicks, combinations. He has all of that. He's young and talented with a really bright future. But at minus 650, I want no part of that. Now let's talk a little bit more about the background of Jao Paulo Fagundas. Coming out of Rio Brazil, he last fought in 2021 December. So late last year, he was up against Rodrigo Carlos. He won that fight round one, but that guy was like 26 and 20, bit of a journeyman. And when you go back further in his topology, it's guys with very little experience, 1-0, and 4-1, 1-1, and 6-2. 1, 1 and, 1, 6 and 2. By no means has Jao Paulo fought good competition. Now here's the film I found on him. I thought this was very interesting. It's like a bit of a highlight film it gives more than a highlight film. One part of the film showed him getting completely cracked. He gets hit, somehow he survives it, does get to the ground, shows a, I guess some durability, that's why they published it. Over the course of this highlight film, you see two things about this guy. He loses technique immediately. He just goes out and starts swinging. That should play into Simon Powell's game plan because Simon Powell wants to also strike and work at range. The second thing you see from Powell is he does have a ground attack. He's from Brazil, guys. He should have some Brazilian Jiu Jitsu base. He does have a ground attack. He can bring you to the ground. Is he amazing at submissions? No, absolutely not. He has not a single submission win on his entire topology. But can he get some ground control? A matter of fact, last fight, how did he win? on the ground having someone's back tko on the ground that type of thing so i could see him grinding this fight out on the ground he's gonna have to if he decides to swing and bang with Simeon powell on the feet back and forth then it's 50 50 then it comes down to either guy just landing and that's why the money line here is way off it doesn't matter who Simeon powell's fighting he's very young he's still learning he shouldn't be anywhere near minus 650 on any fighting now here's the actual play to make this play is not available yet because these lines are just coming out fight not going to decision parlay that prop it's going to be juicy like mine is 250 minus 300 it'll be in that range but parlay that this way you're totally covered you're not sweating like oh i have this minus 650 no that's crazy take the fight not go the distance because most likely what happens here either powell strikes gold knee or hammer fist something like that or john powell gets him on the ground and ends the fight that way but i don't see two light heavyweights with finishing power both of them going the full distance here i'd be very surprised when that prop comes out that's the play Alright guys, that's the breakdown. Jao Paulo Fagunas is my pick to win the fight and be an upset, but either way, I'd best plan this fight is probably the fight not going the distance when that prop comes out. Let's move on. Moving up to the second fight in the main card, it's going to be a flyweight bout in the women's division, 125 pounds, between Dakota Dechiva versus Hazna Gaber. Now before I even get started here, I spent probably too much time looking into this fight than I should. It's a minus 1,000 spot here for Dakota, and you got Hasna at plus 550. But what I was curious of, is there a reason to bet on the dog? And I would not parlay stuff at minus 1,000. I don't do that. I don't do stuff at like minus 700 either. So I was just looking for some kind of way to decipher what's going on. So I watched two fights of each fighter. And what was obvious, the PFL sees something in Dakota, give her some fights, get her going, maybe get her ready for next year. She is 5-0 undefeated and on film. She looks really good. Natural fluid striker, longer fighter, good hands, spinning elbows, knees. I mean, she's looked great. <laughs> Against what kind of competition? That's, you know, to be seen. In this matchup, Hosna Gaber, watching her on film, I believe she's only looking for the scorecards, doesn't really want to get too much into it, has a nice lower leg kick from range. She does do that from time to time. But if you just back her up and pressure her, you could beat her. As a matter of fact, looking at her topology, I saw the fight with her versus Amon Al-Malduhav. That was 2021 last year, September of last year. So a year ago, Iman comes out and just pushes the pace, bullies Hazna, and you see Hazna can't deal with it very well. Goes down as we getting submitted. Her last fight was against Sengol. Now that was this year, March of this year. So it was Sengol versus Hazna Gaber, or Gaber, excuse me. She wins the fight somehow. I just don't know how. In the third round, she gets knocked down. She's the perfect setup here for Dakota Dicheva. Oh, by the way, when you go back further in the topology of Hazna. Two of her wins, she only has four total wins. Two of them are against the same person, <laughs> and that person is 0 2. Just putting that out there. But for Dakota Chiva, she has been fighting the best of opponents either, but she has fought more competition. She had a 4-0 amateur career. I believe, again, she's the fighter right now. They want to wean into getting her into PFL next year to get her ready. She's got some KO power. She has multiple finishes, three finishes in her, sorry, four finishes in her five total wins. When you look at her in film, much more fluid striker. She trains out of a Manchester top team. I guess it's a pretty good program as well. So look, long story short, there's no reason to bet the dog. If the props come out and you want to gamble on this fight, I would look at the a winning into the distance and if you want to get more specific round one tko by dakota she just overwhelms her comes out on fire so the pfl i see you guys i know what you're doing here you got yourself a new prospect give her some wins we know she's gonna win she's gonna kill this girl probably round one round two no reason to bet the dog here don't waste your money that's your breakdown let's move on guys All right, moving up the main card, we've got one of the semi-final matches. So whoever wins this match will move on in the playoffs to the finals for a chance to win $1 million. We've got Ryoji Kudo, who hails from Japan versus Bubba Jenkins, who hails from the United States. Mr. Jenkins goes by a bad Man. he's 18 and five overall. 4 one in his last five fights, he's based out of California, 34 years old. 5'8", high with a 72-inch reach, and he trains out of Black House MMA. Height and reach-wise, there'll be a slight advantage there, about one inch for height, one inch for reach, excuse me, for Bubba Jenkins. As for Mr. Kudo, he's 11, three and one overall. 3-2 3-2 in his last five fights, 29 years old, Five foot seven in height, as we mentioned before, 71-inch reach, and he trains out of Tribe Tokyo MMA. Looking at the numbers and tapology, Jenkins is a huge favorite, getting 88% of the votes, only 12% coming in for the Japanese fighter. A little surprised, I guess, because if you look at Kudo's recent fights, he almost beat Lofnene a few fights ago, knocked out his last opponent, has showed he definitely belongs in the PFL. I'm going to try to make an argument for why I think he's a good spot to consider as a dog bet. But here's my thinking before I get into the long background of these two fighters, the shorten. if you're going to parlay Jenkins, the value is so limited, right? He's sitting currently around minus 425 range, probably closes around minus 450 to minus 500. Do you want to get involved with that? Do you want to be tied into that kind of a play? I don't think so, because I can guarantee you one thing. Ryoji Kudo is going to keep it close. So I think the best plays here, if you want to keep from having a stressful fight, are looking at the fight possibly starting round three or going the distance. Both guys are durable. You can expect some wrestling, some close exchanges. I think Bubba Jenkins wins the fight most likely on the scorecards through any other method because Kudo is again durable. And so I could see him hugging him, bringing him down, control time, and that being the method. So I would look at those props. If you don't want to get involved on either side, I can assure you it's not going to look like minus 425, even if Bubba Jenkins does win. And then there's this outside chance that Kudo has showed some power recently, could he? he possibly get to Jenkins could he drain his gas tank make it close for all those reasons I'm going to choose Bubba Jenkins to win the fight but I'm going to be betting on Kudo, specifically kudo by decision I like that prop and then kudo inside the distance Ryoji Kudo from Japan. He fought one Warrior Series and Shudo part of the PFL. He lost his PFL debut a few months ago and started off 0-2 in the PFL. He fights have an orthodox fighting stance. All right, let's talk about his prior opponents. He fought Alejandro Flores in his last fight, with a round one knockout with a right hook. Very impressive. In that moment, the knockout looks good, but I think when you dive deeper into the numbers here with Kudo, he's not much of a finisher and hasn't displayed a lot of knockout power over his career. Now, prior fight though, Brandon Lofne, he does knock down <laughs> Lofnane in that fight, so he does display that power again. The Lofnane fight, he was a plus 750 underdog, huge underdog. I believe he was on the way to winning the fight. It was very close. What ends up happening is after he gets the knockdown, the fight keeps going. It's pretty close. We get to like, I think it's round two or round three, where it's it's ruled a technical stoppage because of a cut on the head of Ryoji because he got cut by an accidental headbutt. So it goes to the scorecards and they give the fight to Lofnane and I'm like, they gave the fight to Lofnane because in my opinion, I thought Kudo had done enough. So it was a sweaty experience, but I think what you saw there was this guy Ryoji Kudo kudo he can hang he can hang with the best of them in the pfl i think bubba jenkins is one of the best of them in the pfl at least he keeps this close from my opinion now for kudo the things i like about him he's got some punching power he's put it on display recently He'd never been finished before very solid chin he's also made the transition from going from the far east from japanese promotions to the pfl and done it smoothly how many far east fighters come over get overwhelmed i think now he's got a few fights under his belt we're gonna possibly see the best of him you know what i'm saying now what are my concerns for him He does throw wide punches. Nothing is very technical. I think that's because he likes to bang, he wants to bang. And so he's more of a looping guy, wide punches, unfortunately also leaves him off balance. And I mentioned before about the finishing power. If you look at the last two fights in a vacuum, you're thinking the guy has finishing power. The numbers don't really say that. The numbers say he's more of a decision guy. So you can't just go in these last few fights and jump too much on that. I think he's got some power, yes. But I'm not sold yet that he's going to come in here, for example, and knock out Bubba Jenkins. I don't really see that. I could even see him maybe possibly somehow getting a submission finish somehow before a knockout. And the last thing with him is, I mentioned the technical striking is not there. The boxing is raw. I mean, he leaves himself open, not a good defensive striker. And technically, the striking battle, it's going to be up in the air. Bubba Jenkins is a former wrestler himself. But probably Bubba, I would lean towards him with having better technical striking than our boy, Ryoji Kudo as for Mr. Bubba Jenkins. Let's talk about him. Some factoids about his background, some things you may or may not know. Bubba Jenkins, former junior world champion in wrestling, NCAA division one national champion in college, interesting story about this guy. He signed to Penn state at a high school. And so he's at Penn state and he was there for like three years, his senior year New coach comes in. He's like, new philosophy. And Bubba Jenkins is like, nah, coach, I'm going to do it my way. I'm a senior. They don't get along. He decides to transfer. All right, he transfers. Goes to Arizona State, another big-time wrestling program. He goes there. And what does he do there in his one year as a senior, his only year? He wins the national championship. Now, it gets better, though. He won the title over a guy named David Taylor. Who was Taylor? Well, Taylor was an undefeated wrestler that year. Undefeated. had never been beaten. And he was wrestling out of what, what school? penn state so here this guy bubba jenkins leaves penn state goes to arizona state goes all the way through the bracket makes it to the finals and goes against his former teammate and beats that guy in the finals across from his old coach who we did get along with talk about some like little sports revenge taylor mind you would go on to win an olympic gold medal in world and world championship medal in wrestling so these are the kind of guys that bubba jenkins was beating in college when it comes to his college background his pedigree legit wrestler it's transitioned to mixed martial arts. It doesn't always happen for some fighters, but for him it has. He does do a good job of getting a hold of his opponents, bringing the fight to the ground. He's the former brave CF champion. He also fought in Bellator. People forget about that. He had an eight and three record in Bellator. Signed with the PFL 2021. We can go over his topology, but it's pretty straight simple. As you can see, decisions, decisions, decisions. He's won his last four fights by decision. Five of his last six by decision. I think against better competition with Bubba Jenkins, he takes the smart, safe route, high fighter IQ. I've seen him get damaged in some recent fights. I think when he fought, fought Kyle Bochniak, that was the fight where he had like a bit of an eye injury. He worked through it, did a good job. Losing by decision to Chris Wade, no big deal. Chris Wade's one of the best fighters in the roster for PFL. When you look at his topology, you can't appreciate how controlling he is. You see decision, decision, but it's controlling. It's Khabib-esque. He's not getting finishes. That's just not the type of fighter he is. And on the feet, he's very vanilla. You know what I mean? That's what you're seeing from him. Now, some things that I do like about Mr. Bubba Jenkins. I love the wrestling background. I love that when he gets hurt, he can always fall back on that. He can control the fight. He dictates how things work. Now, what's to not like about Bubba Jenkins? What are my concerns for him. He has moments of cardio lapses or he gasses. And When I say moments, you'll see him get tired. Let's say at the end of round two, come back in round three, bring his opponent down, dominate for the entire round. So it's like moments of maybe recovery. And that's normal. Like it's like breathing in and out. You got to recover. He gets moments to recover. Sometimes though, it's very noticeable. Could, in those moments, Kyoji find a way to take advantage of that, get his own takedown, I don't know, rush him. He's also got a very low finish rate. He's not much of a finisher. Why does that matter? Let me let me put it out there. Well, because if you're fighting him and Ryoji likes to bang, Ryoji wants to swing and go crazy. Now, in the midst of doing that, he might get taken down by Bubba, but at least Ryoji can have a little more confidence knowing, well, I'm not as worried about this guy swinging back and knocking me down. He doesn't seem to have that in his arsenal. So looking back at his recent topology again, a lot of decision wins, even when he loses by decision, very durable. And then when it comes to grappling, here's the thing. He's not a BJJ world champion. He's a wrestling top-notch elite national champion wrestler, but he's not a BJJ guy. So on the ground, he is prone to making mistakes, exposing his neck, making those mistakes against an elite-level BJJ guy would be fatal. In this situation, we don't know that about Ryoji. I don't believe that he's elite-level BJJ, but on the ground, he does make some mistakes. In conclusion, I like Bubba Jenkins to win the fight by decision. May not be the most exciting thing I think he goes back to the finals. I believe Bubba Jenkins is peaking at the crescendo of his career in many ways. Whereas for Ryoji Kudo, he's made some good strides. He's only 29 years old. I mean, he's five years to junior. For Bubba Jenkins, what, maybe two, three more years of this at your peak, top-notch level before Father Time comes to in. At that point, Ryoji Kudo would be like moving into his prime. So a lot of reasons to like Ryoji. The props are not out yet, but the prop of Ryoji by decision or Ryoji is at the distance. Those are the two props I'll play. I think Ryoji Kudo deserves a much better money line than this. This money line is way off. We've seen recently in the PFL, money lines have been way off. So I think in this case, that's what's going on. But Bubba Jacobs should win with the wrestling. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. And we're up to the first of the two women's bouts on the main card. It's a semifinal bout. The winner of this bout will go on to the finals to face the winner of the other women's bout on this main card. 155 pounds. We've got Larissa Pacheco, who hails from Brazil, versus Olena Kolesnik, who goes by the cannon, and she hails from Ukraine. If you don't know, we did a nice interview with her here at MA Fight Club on our channel. Go back and look it up. Just search Olena Kolesnik. It was like an hour-long interview. Quite fun. Talked a lot about her background and upbringing. And being from Ukraine, obviously her emotions with the war, the conflict. So as you can imagine, it's tough for me to root against Elena and I would never root against her. But the reality is it's gonna be tough hill to climb against Larissa Pacheco. My line already precludes us from betting Pacheco straight up at minus 650 to minus 700. We're at a point now where we really can't touch it. And I don't think there's any value in betting the dog. These ladies did fight last year as we'll go over in that matchup Pacheco won by TKO first round. Larissa Pacheco, who I'm pretty high on, I think she has an opportunity to at least challenge uh, Kelly Harrison in the finals this year. I think she gets through this matchup pretty easily, but let me give you some background on these two fighters. I'll go over the particulars with you guys and lay out at least the details on these two ladies. Alina Kaliznicka goes by the Cannon. She's 7-4 and four overall, 2-3 and three in her last five fights. Back-to-back wins, mind you, making the playoffs. She's trained out of Thailand, but I know recently she was not in Thailand 32 years old, five foot nine height with a 68 inch reach. And she's trained out of Tiger Muay Thai. As for Pacheco 17 and four overall 4 one, her last five fights, 27 years old and 11 months. So four years younger than her counterpart, five foot six and height with a 69 inch reach. She trained out of bulldog and formiga team. There is height advantage for Elena. And there's also a reach advantage for Pacheco by one inch. Mind you, actually, I should point out when they fought last year, she did come in overweight for that fight. Now, according to the Tapology votes, by no surprise. Pacheco is getting 96% of the votes. It's a bit of a no brainer. I am picking Pacheco to win. And I think she wins by a round one TKO. If not round two TKO, I don't see any path of victory for Lena Kolesnik though. If she were to win, it would be a glorious upset and not to mention hailing from Ukraine, yada, yada, yada. People would enjoy that. So as for Pacheco. Born and raised in Brazil, she began Muay Thai training at the age of 15 years old. She fought her first amateur bout when she was 16. She was in the Ultimate Fighter Season 28, that was 2018, four years ago. She lost to Macy Chasson in the prelims. I remember going back and watching that. I did some binge watching this year of the Ultimate Fighter, and I didn't know what the result was, so I'm assuming she was going to win. And when she lost, I was like, oh, devastated, because I'm pretty high on Pacheco. One thing I noticed, though, from that fight to now, she has made some big improvements. I think if she fought Macy Chasson right now, I don't think she wipes the floor with her, but I think she could beat her, put it that way. She won the Bantamweight title at Jungle Fight 63 over Irene Aldina. She went 0-2 in the UFC before being let go. So she does have some UFC experience. Her last fight was against Jenna Fabian. She was a big favorite, like minus 400, minus 500 favorite. And she won the fight via round one TKO to Carabasas. We mentioned before, she fought Olena Kalisnik last year, won the fight round one TKO. And here's something to talk about. She fought Kayla Harrison twice in 2019. Now That was what, three years ago. She lost both times by decision. That's a lot of fight time with one of the best in the world. No one goes distance with Kayla Harrison. No one does. So from that standpoint, you get an idea for how good of a fighter Larissa Pacheco is. Now, what does Pacheco do well? She's very durable. She's only been finished twice in her career excellent grappler good submission defense that's where she gave harrison some trouble if she gets back control she gets in the ground she could be a problem of course brazilian jiu-jitsu she's from brazil she's fought very competition of course not just in the pfl but also in the ufc she has a very good finish rate nine of her ten wins are by finish six by tko and three by submission the tko is because she throws her heat She throws with power. She knocked out Kalisnik last year. She's probably going to do it again in this fight. Now, what are her shortcomings? Or What does she not do well? When she faces good competition, like top-level competition, for example, Jermaine Randomee, Andrade, Macy Chasson, Kaylee Harrison twice, she comes up short in those matches. Now, does that mean she can't deal with the bright lights in the big stage? No, no. I think it's just indicative of levels. And she's like a level below someone like Kaylee Harrison. At the same time, I believe she's a level above someone like Elena Kalisnik. And my last point of concern for Larissa Pacheco, she leaves herself open to counters. She'll get wild at times. She'll start throwing, she'll start trading. Most of the time she comes out on the better end because she's got so much power. At the same time, it's always a window of opportunity for someone to counter you. I don't know that Elena has the power to clip Larissa Pacheco, but they start trading at that point. It's anyone's ballgame. game. It's a toss up. Now, as for the Ukrainian fighter, Olena Kalisnik. again, we did a one hour interview with her. Go look it up. It's on our channel. Awesome person. If you sit and talk with her for 20-30 minutes, no matter who you are, you're talking about fighting, whatever else. She's very likable, someone easy to root for and get behind. It's not easy for me to pick against her. I would love to be able to say, I think Elena's gonna win the fight, but it's a tough matchup. Anyway, she hails from Odessa, Ukraine. She's done some training at Tiger Muay Thai and also global fight gym in Russia. She didn't fight for three years. From 2018 to 2021, she had a three-year layoff. She's coming to this fight off of back-to-back wins, her first winning streak in a while. Her last fight was against Vanessa Mello. That was this year. Now, she dominates the fight. She looks pretty good, but Mello is a shell of what she used to be. And believe it or not, yes, Vanessa Mello had a time in the UFC, but she is no longer a very good fighter. I'm sorry to say it. I play, I picked Elena to win that fight because I felt like Vanessa Mello had just done very little in her prior fight, and Elena came out there, dominated the pace and the pressure, didn't land anything significant, didn't hurt Vanessa, didn't do anything special, it just landed more, was busier. She does some of that Haya stuff too, like a little bit of Haya when she punches, you know, just to get the attention of the judges. Her prior fight this year, regular season for PFL, was Abby Montez, 2022 this year, as we mentioned. Now, that fight was surprising. She was a plus 215 underdog, and I thought Abby was going to win the fight. And boy, I was wrong. It was a close decision, though. And some people even booed who were there in attendance. They thought Olena may have lost. Now, granted, this was like the height of the beginning of the Ukraine and Russia thing. And so her winning was like a big deal. She was emotional. She has her flag with her, but it was squeaky. And Again, me watching it, just being honest i thought abby montez had won nonetheless she got the fight there she got the win so she's on a back-to-back winning streak now last year she fought larissa pacheco got knocked out round one she was a plus 450 underdog in that matchup and it warranted that price tag i don't know that she's gotten so much better since that fight to now i think larissa pacheco if she hasn't gotten better she definitely has gotten worse put it that way And what's the like about lena kalisnik she's got this passion she's got this thing about winning matches and representing her country and she's on a high right now If she were to win, like some kind of crazy world, parallel universe, where she wins this fight, knocks out Pacheco, or somehow squeaks out a decision, I don't know, it would be just such a great storyline. I mean, the PFL would love it. She's a southpaw. That's always an adjustment for people to get used to. I do like the fact that Elena has fought some decent fighters. She's been in there with some UFC-level fighters. Well, not UFC-level anymore, but UFC former fighters like Larissa Pacheco, mean, Mello. Now, what are my concerns for Elena? She missed weight last time when they fought. She's two and four in her last six fights. Now, last two wins, one of them was in the air. One of them was against a person who was on the way out in their career. Durability concerns. Three of her last four losses, she was finished. And this is women's MMA, right? You don't usually see finishes rate that high. And granted, one of those times she got finished was by Pacheco last year. Her wins are over lower level opponents. We kind of mentioned that before. It's a little bit redundant, but you get the point. And her boxing is raw. This is not unique to her. I think when you're talking about a lot of women's mixed martial arts, even in the UFC, you see raw boxing techniques that don't usually execute very heavy power punches. Nonetheless, she's improving in the air. You can see improvement, but her boxing is a bit raw. In conclusion, guys, I think Pacheco takes the fight. Not telling you something you don't already know. I would just caution you from parlaying this type of stuff. I know people are still going to parlay it and they're probably going to work out okay. But minus 650, minus 700, let's be sharper than that. Look for a prop that makes more sense, like Pacheco round one finish or Pacheco into the distance. If you can get Pacheco into the distance for anywhere around minus 250 to minus 300, take it. That's probably what's going to happen. It's not going to be my decision. And one thing is I don't think there's any value in putting any money on Elena. I hate to choose against Elena. She's such a great person. I'll be rooting for her. And I won't have a lot invested either way. Like, I'm not going to be par of Langler's or Pacheco's. If Elena wins, you know, I'm only going to be upset. I just did put more behind her and invested her to win the fight. So that's the breakdown, guys. I'm on Pacheco to win the fight. Let's move on. All right, up to the co event. It's going to feature a bout between two fighters you might recognize. They've been on the PFL now the last two, three years. Chris Wade up against Brandon Lofnig. This should be a great match. I'm going to tell you right now off the bat. I do like Chris Wade to win. Like him by decision. Chris Wade goes by the Long Island Killer. 22-7 and 7 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. He's from New York, former state champion in New York. Still trains out of Long Island MMA, which is in Long Island, New York. 34 years old in 10 months, about to be 35. 5'10 on highway a 70-inch reach. As for Brandon Lofnane, who hails from England, 24-4 overall. Very impressive record. Also 4-1 in his last five fights out of Manchester, New England. 32 years old, 5'9", giving up 1 inch in height, 72 inch reach, a 2 inch advantage there for Brendan Lofnane. He trains out of Manchester's Predators. As for the numbers coming in on Topology, Wade is the slight favorite, getting 67% of the votes, 33% coming in for Lofnane. I do agree. I like Wade to win the fight. I believe that they're like at the two different points in their career. Wade is like peaking. The guy's fighting, maybe the best he's ever bought. Lofnane recently has shown some Put it this way. He had some knee sleeves on a few fights ago. And is he injured? Not injured? Is he recovering? He looks like he lost a step this season. I like the guy. He was on the away contender series a few years ago. Won against Bill Algeo. Didn't get a contract. But has had a really tough season. Almost lost against Kudo. It's been a little up and down for him. And I just feel like he's at a point right now where at least this season, he's not fighting his best. Whereas I believe Chris Wade is. So for that and some more specific reasons, which I'll give as we break this fight down, I do like Chris Wade to win. I like him by decision. Chris Wade is sitting at around minus... 225 to minus 230, depending on your books, it's fair. I I think Chris Wade right now, again, he deserves to be the favorite. Now minus 250 or greater, maybe not that much of a favorite. Now looking at the background of these two fighters, let's talk about Chris Wade first. From New York, former state champion at 140 pounds. He went to Nassau Junior College out of high school. At junior college, he went to nationals his freshman year. Didn't win, but he still went to national championships. After attending Nassau, he transferred to a division three school called SUNY Oneata, where he continued to wrestle and went to nationals there and got fifth place. He does train in Long Island at Long Island MMA, which is a very good gym. Good fighters out there. He's a blue belt BJJ. He went undefeated in kickboxing and held a kickboxing world title of some kind though i can't find much on that that was before his mixed martial arts days he went 2-0 and as an amateur he went 5-2 and in the ufc and you see this and you're like what 5-2 and why is he not there they let him go they let him go after 2017 after he lost um, after he won over frankie perez they let him go he's currently 10-4 and in the pfl his only losses in the pfl are all good guys he fights in the southpaw stance that's always an adjustment for whoever he's fighting against his last fight was against kyle Bochniak. That was just recently. He won via a round one KO. What's impressive about that fight is Kal Bochniak is a tough dude. He's not easy to get rid of. So that was a nice knockout win for him. He was a minus 450 favorite in that matchup. He fought Lance Palmer also this year, won that fight as a minus 105 pick him. Good win there. A lot of value if you bet on him. He fought Mova Kobayev last year, lost that fight by decision. That cost him a chance to win a million dollars, of course, right? Kobayev went on to win the million dollar prize. He beat Bubba Jenkins last year. And Bubba Jenkins, of course, is in. Playoffs as well. Then, of course, he had a split decision loss to Natan Schulte. He lost to him the second time, and that was 2018. He fought Islam Makachev, and he went the full distance. Who does that, man? It's a testament to how good he is. Now, granted, that was 2016, it was six years ago, but gives you a clue into how good Chris Wade is. And I think right now he's fighting the best he's ever been. What's to like about Chris Wade? He's fought championship level opponents. We just talked about it. He's fought a very high pedigree of opponents. Excellent durability. Even though he's fought some of these guys we've talked about, never been finished, never been knocked out excellent submission defense cite the fight against uh, makachev he didn't get submitted right and i like to say winning is a habit this guy is a winner state champion went to nationals in junior college went to nationals in division three college has had a good run in the ufc winning percentages five and two record in the ufc doing well in the pfl the guy is a winner i like winners chris wade's a winner and what are my concerns for chris wade he's had a low finish rate even though the guy is a bit of a bulldog and he'll fight you he ends up winning fights more by decision so for example eight of his last 10 fights have gone to decision so even when he loses it goes to decision his boxing defense could be better he needs to shore up his head movement use his guard more he tends to have too much faith in his chin that's the best way to put it now as for brandon lofnane from england 3-0 amateur career 12-year pro career he began his pro career 10-1 so a nice start to his pro career in 2019 on Dana White Contender Series, he fought Bill Algio. He won the fight by decision, but Dana White didn't sign him, didn't see enough from him. Now, of course, algio would then go on to get signed. He's still in the UFC, so kind of like uh, two different directions. He won that night, but then he kind of didn't win, if you know what I mean, because Bill Algio is the one who ended up getting signed, and he didn't. He fought an ACD and BAMMA, part of the PFL. His last fight was against Ugo Hasek. That was this year. He won the fight by decision. And that was a fight where you're like, okay, get back on track. Strongly favored to win. But he wins by decision. Doesn't pull away from the guy. Doesn't finish the guy. Now, his prior fight this year, Ryoji Kudo. Whew, now, that was a damn sweat. He wins the fight by a technical decision. He gets knocked down. Okay, so he gets knocked down in round one. Kind of comes back. Gets back into the fight. Maybe he wins round two. Round three, it's you know kind of close. Illegal headbutt. There's a cut down on Ryoji's head. They call the fight off. Go to the scorecards, he wins. So that was a real, like, squeamish. And that was the fight where he was wearing the sleeves, where you're like, oh, there's something wrong with his knees or something like that. He fought Movik Kobalayev last year, lost by split decision. That was in the playoffs. And, of course, he mentioned before he fought Bill Algeo, 2019, won by decision. Very good cardio. The guy's known for pushing a pace for all three rounds. Even though I think he's lost a step in quickness, he hasn't lost a step in terms of cardio. Now, what are my concerns for Brandon Lofny? Low finish rate. Seven of his last eight fights have gone to decision. Matter of fact, I think eight of his last nine have gone to decision. So we expect this fight probably goes to full distance. Both guys here lack finishing ability. He gets wild and sloppy at times. And what I mean by that is he's got this English bad boy tough guy in him where if he has to start trading with you, he'll do it. He's like, fuck it. You want to throw down and start trading? He'll do it. But that comes at a price, you know what I mean? And you hope you don't have to do that too much because it shortens your career and it's, it's very volatile. And I mentioned before, the knee injury or knee injuries, he wore some knee sleeves this year. I'm not sure what's up with that. If you know, put it in the comment section, but it seems like he was battling some kind of injury this year. I think the world of Brandon Loughman, I like his fighting style. He's entertaining. He had to come back from some tough stuff this year. I mean, his eye was pretty swollen in one of the fights he fought recently. I like the guy. He's entertaining. This is going to be a good fight. I just think for all types of purposes that Chris Wade is at the better point right now at this point in his career. Now, maybe that changes next year. But for right now, I like Wade. I think he's the better grappler in this spot. I think he's the fresher, more agile fighter. And if you want to compare schedules, even though Laughlin has fought in schedule too, Chris Wade's definitely fought a better badass schedule. So with all that said, guys, I'm on Chris Wade to win the fight. Let me know what you guys think. Do you disagree? If you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe. We're on to the next fight. And we're up to the last fight in the main card. It's going to feature a women's bout, Kayla Harrison versus Martina Jandrova. This will be a very short breakdown. She's right now currently at minus 5,000. And so the only thing you ask yourself when you're breaking down Kayla Harrison's recent fights is, is there any chance in the world that she can lose? Now there's always a chance. It's like any given Sunday. Could there be an injury? Something fluky happens. It just seems as if Kayla Harrison has the easiest path to victory by just grabbing Jindrova bringing her to the ground, like she does with all of her opponents, and then scraping her up and beating her up. But her ground game is elite. And I have to ask myself another question. At some point, will this get old? Now I'm not saying for her, she's making her money. She's got a multi-year contract with the PFL, a million dollars a year. How many more times can we watch Kayla Harrison just be like minus 3,000, minus 4,000, minus 5,000? What is the entertainment value of that? Not to mention she is the main event. You gotta look for a prop that makes sense. Kayla Harrison, round one submission. Kayla Harrison, round two TKO. You're going to have to find a specific spot. I'm not going to bet this fight. I have no reason to believe that Martina Jandrova will be the person to upset Kayla Harrison. I think the only person who stopped Kayla Harrison at this point is Kayla Harrison. She wins the fight. I'm looking forward to a time when I can actually break down one of her fights. The Pacheco fight might be the one, though, because Pacheco gave her a little bit of a hard time. Let's move on from this. we get to the post-liminary fights, but I like Kayla Harrison to win. It's just a matter of how fast, and if you want to have the balls to bet like 60 seconds, two minutes, what's going to happen? At this point, it's just a matter of when she beats up Gendrova and when she finishes her. For Gendrova, been in a great season, making it to the playoffs, comes back hopefully next year, only 31 years old, and makes another run at it. But for Kayla Harrison, she keeps the train going. She wins the fight, most likely in round one. By a submission, That's which right. should be the first fight on the post-liminary cards, a bantamweight bout at 135 pounds between the Spanish fighter, Zabenzui Ruiz, who goes by Nino Roca versus Rafael Uchebugu. I'm going to call him Rafael from Rellon. This fight was just added to the card, so I don't have much information. I did a little bit of scanning in their background. I did watch a little bit of film on Ruiz. I'm going to go with Rafael, the fighter out of the United Kingdom from England. This whole promotion, this whole thing is being held right now in you know England. So it makes sense, the local fighter. Now, Spain is not too far away, but I think Rafael has the pedigree to edge out Ruiz here. One thing I noticed on Tapology is that Rafael has two fights in Bellator. 2-0 in Bellator. Now, granted, it was like 2019. It was a while ago, but I like the fact he's undefeated. I have no age number on him. Height-wise, should be a little bit taller and longer of a fighter. Ruiz's opportunity to win the fight will be by making it ugly, dragging him to the ground, keep it nice and close, make it greasy, right? No line is available yet in this fight. But when it comes out, I imagine the line comes out with as a slight favorite. Betting perspective, we're probably better off not getting too invested. But I do have one thing I will recommend from betting perspective. Two young fighters, a lot of finishes in their background, have fought questionable levels of promotion. Don't be surprised when they come out there and start fighting. One guy is like here, other guy is here because we just don't have a lot of, put it this way, a lot of blind spots, a lot of variables here in this fight. So with that said, the prop that might attract you would be the fight not starting round three, the fight not going the distance, which is which is a lot of fights in this card. Fights where you have a lot of volatility, a lot of question marks, where we expect one guy to come in here and maybe surprise us. That could be Ruiz. It could be Rafael. In this situation here, I'm just going to take that prop and look at it. If it's not too chalky, I might parlay it. But I'm going to go with Rafael to win this fight to start the post card. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Okay, moving up through the post liminary card, we've got Ali Talib versus Darius Mafi. This was a late replacement. We're talking like... About four or five days notice here for the newcomer but this was supposed to be initially ali talib versus kenji bartoluzzi bartoluzzi withdrew and now we have mr darius moffy stepping in thank you mr moffy and moffy not going too far from home because he is from england we got the basic information these two fighters a 135 pound bout band and weight division ali talib is undefeated at 7-0 darius Maffey is undefeated at 3-0 Mafia's out of England, 29 years old, trains out of Manchester, top team. We don't have an age number here on Ali Talib. He is a young guy, though, 5'7 in height, out of Redline TC. Spotty information to two fighters, but we could find some film, and I want to talk to you about the film. For Ali Talib, he's a wrestler, grappler, submission guy. He wants to get the fight to the ground. On the feet, he's okay. He switches stances, comes back and forth from left-handed stance to right-handed stance. Has good combinations, strikes with good technique. Maybe he doesn't have the most power in his hands and the feet, but does a good job. Not the kind of guy where you're thinking, I said wrestler, you know, grappler, that he can't strike. He can strike. He's serviceable on the feet. But on the ground is where I believe he really butters his bread where he separates himself from his competition. As for Darius Mafi, I went back and looked at some of his prior fights, and I had the pleasure of watching his first ever amateur fight. And he fights a guy who he beats in 13 seconds, and they're fighting in a gymnasium somewhere. And this guy looks like he has no business fighting at all. And I think the referee probably thinks before the fight, like, if he gets hurt, I'm stopping this shit right away. So here comes this kid in there who looks like he's uh, very unathletic up against our boy Darius Mafi. Mafi picks him up, slams him to the ground. 13 seconds later, we have a TKO. And the the kid wasn't hurt. The referee was like, all right, let's just stop this right now. What I did see, though, from another fight from Darius Mafi, I looked at him fight against Coburn. Now, that was his last amateur fight. We're talking about a guy with three pro fights. So that's why I was against the amateur stuff in that fight. What's noticeable to me is that on the feet, him and Talib, Talib's much faster. He's much quicker. He's a better striker when it comes to the grappling exchanges and who's the most powerful person in the clinch, you do want to edge Darius Mafi. He's got a very big upper body. He's very strong up top, lower body's got a little bit thinner, but I think the technique for takedowns and top control, position control, submission, all those favor Ali Taleb. The line is not out yet with this fight. We may not even see it come out until last minute because we're thinking of the fight that's been a late replacement. We may not get the numbers until late. I'm in a better at it all. It's a post-liminary fight. Maybe take it easy at this point in the fight card. Maybe grab a beer. But if I have to choose a winner, I'm taking Ali Taleb. I think what he does here is he out grapples, out positions Darius Maffi for a win. On the feet, I think Darius will realize right away he probably should get the fight back to the ground if he can himself because Ali Taleb should have the striking advantage, should be much faster. For the Swedish fighter here, Ali Taleb... Looks to go 8-0. For the PFL, this is a perfect setup. I see what they're doing. Young prospects, undefeated. Take a look at both guys, and maybe even invite Darius Mafi back next year if he loses this fight, or vice versa. I have Ali Taleb. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Moving up to our next fight in the post-liminary card. It's going to be a welterweight bout at 170 pounds between Magnus Oneyaka Iverson. The name Iverson. Whenever you hear that name, of course, you think of the one and only Alan Iverson. He's up against Tayo Adungo. Adungo is 4-1 overall. Hails out of the United Kingdom. London, England, to be exact. He trained out of Team Wallhead. No reach or height number on him, but he's a pretty tall guy, very long, very lean. I imagine he's probably 5'11, 6' range, I'm going guess to guesstimate. As for Mr. Iverson, 2 0, undefeated in his pro mixed martial arts career, though he did have a career in kickboxing. That's the only film I could see of him. He hails out of Norway. We don't have a reach number on him. He's a bit stockier, so I'd imagine the reach advantage would be on the side of Tayo. And for Magnus, he trains at a front line Muay Thai. Now, looking at Tapology, you don't see much information. You see a few fights. According to the votes, though, on Tapology, Adungo is the favorite, getting 81% of the votes, only 19% coming in for Iverson. I do concur. I do like Undungo to win the fight, but I will say this. Having watched some film on Undungo, he's sloppy, put it that way. If he's on the ground, he, he's a, he's a bit wild on the feet. He'll throw some wild shit. He's got some power. You'll see him knocking some people out. No question about that. He knocked one guy out where well, the guy was out completely cold, but he is a bit wild and sloppy. Now, when you're fighting lower level competition, they don't make you pay for that. You get away with that kind of stuff. I think he's talented. I think he's got the ingredients to be a good fighter. He seems to be fairly durable, good energy, decent cardio, good submission game too. So he is well-rounded on the other side here for Magnus Onyaku, Onyaka Iverson, excuse me, the one. I saw of him was a kickbacking match kickboxing excuse me match against a guy from Romania. Early on you noticed that Magnus is explosive. I mean look at his profile picture. The guy is built. Explosive, quick twitch muscles, a lot of power. I guess what looks to be a lot of power in his strikes, nice knees, I mean, everything you want to see. But when the end of the fight comes around, he tires out in that fight, he loses the fight by decision, he gets cracked a little bit, he gets his chin checked. It wasn't the kind of fight you would expect. When you saw the guy he was fighting against from Romania, an average-looking athlete, and here you got this guy like a Greek god, Magnus, it didn't translate. It makes me think of that old phrase in football we'd say at the time, he looks like Tarzan but plays like Jane. I'm not questioning if Magnus has any power. I don't know that he has the power and cardio to get through a guy like Tayo, who seems to be at this point in his career the better mixed martial arts. He's got more than double experience with mixed martial arts, has five total bouts compared to two. He's favored here at minus 190, opened up around minus 175. I like Tayo here. I'm gonna put a small play on Tayo. I might even just put him into a degenerate parlay, that kind of thing. Don't know if I want to be invested straight up on these guys, but the bet to make here's the bet is the fight does go with the distance. I see we're gonna have some fireworks here. Tayo pushes pace, gets wild. Yes, I can see him getting so wild where he gets clipped himself. With if he pushes enough pace here with Magnus, I think it's a finish at some point. So I like the fight not going the full distance, as probably my favorite bet on this fight, but just to make it short and sweet. I like Tyra to win. That's the breakdown guys. Let's move on. And we're up to the co-main event. Well, it's kind of the co-main event when you think about it. Second to last fight in the post-liminary card. They're giving us a heavyweight clash between two very up and coming inexperienced heavyweights. Louis Sutherland, who goes by the vanilla gorilla. If I see one more damn vanilla gorilla. We got another one here versus Abraham Babley. All right, so Babley is 1 0. He's from England, not too far from home. Out of Manchester top team. That's a theme. We keep hearing that name here on this card. A lot of fighters out of Manchester top team. Undefeated fighters we mentioned before versus Louis Sutherland. Sutherland 4 0 as well. A little more experience out of Scotland, so also not too far from home. 28 years old, and he trains out of Titan Fighter Gym. Full disclosure, I did not do a deep dive in this fight. I did not do a lot of film study, did not have the time for it. We have Dana Cantina this week. We had. Changes on his card last minute, so I'm gonna give you what I know. I'm gonna bet with caution. I suggest you do the same. But looking at the tapology, these two guys, for Abraham Babley, you see the one 0 record. so you're like, oh, only one fight. Well, look back further, he does have four amateur fights. In those four fights, he's four 0 He finished all four of those fights. The guy has some inherent power, it makes sense. He's a 265 pound damn man. If he hits somebody hard enough, he's gonna knock him out. On the other side, Louis Sutherland, only fought one amateur bout, but won that bout by a knockout. Has fought four pro bouts so far, and guess what? Has won them all by knockout. I guess you see where I'm getting with this. Forget about choosing a side. The money line has these guys that have to pick them. You've got. Let me see right now. I lost it. I had it on my screen for a second. Here we've got Badly sitting at minus 148 on on Unibet and Bet365. And Betway has minus 150. You got Louis Sullivan on the other side at plus 120, plus 115, depending on what side you look at. So it's a pick on the main line and I don't have a good lean either way. That makes sense to me. But look at the fight, simply not starting round three or the fight going under a round and a half or the fight going under two and a half rounds. I fear the fight that's not going the distance that that prop will be just chewed up and beat up. It'll be sitting somewhere like around minus 500, minus 600. <laughs> but think about this though. If you want to parlay piece, if you want to have some kind of action, take the fight that's not the distance and just parlay it with some of those stuff. There's no way this fight goes into round three. I don't think in my opinion, and there's definitely no way it goes to the full three rounds. So I'm just going to take the fight goes under. If I had to choose a side, like gun to my head, I'm going to go with Babley. If I had to choose a side, I'm going to go with Babley. I'm going to take the guy coming in with a little bit less pro experience, but some good amateur experience. Size-wise, I don't know what to expect. There's a good chance the vanilla gorilla is a little bit taller, but I think Abraham Babley would be a little bit, bit stockier, have a little more power in his hands. That's what a breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. If you know more than I do, let me know in the comments section. But again, I think the play here is the fight that's not going the distance. Take the violence props, look at them, and see which ones you like the most. Let us move on. at 155 pounds between Marcin Held from Poland and Miles Price from Ireland. You have two foreign fighters squaring off and two guys that are veterans. If you don't know, Marcin Held had a run in Bellator and the UFC. We'll talk about that when we go over his profile. For Miles Price, been around for a little while, had a huge win a few years ago in Bellator over Peter queeley It was like the peak of his career. And then from there, took like a long layoff. We'll talk about that as well. A ton of blind spots with this fight. Full disclosure, I had a hard time finding a confident lean. I think the best bet I'm going to try to make for this fight is going to be the fight starting round three, the fight going the distance over two and a half. I think both these guys have displayed good durability over the course of their career. Choosing a side, I feel like it can go go wrong either way. I feel like Marcy and health has shown maybe signs of getting older. And you look at his topology, you see 27 and nine. You think he's older than he is. He's only 30 years old. But there's like age years, and then there's like the wear and tear years. We'll talk about that as well. That concerns me for him. As for Miles Price, a lot of weird parts of his career, ups and downs. Begin his career 4-0, and oh, had a four-fight winning streak, has never had that long of a winning streak again. <laughs> Tends to have, you know, a win or two, then a loss. Has had some long layoffs. A lot of question marks about him. And question marks about like where they go from here. He's 34. He's a little bit older. I'm going to choose Marcine Held to win the fight. I have a feeling the line comes out. He's going to be like a minus 2, 225, minus 250-ish favorite. I'm going to guesstimate in that range. And at that point, man, you're taking a big risk with a guy who has shown again recently there's some problem areas there. As for Miles Price, you kind of want to bet on him at that range. He's had some fights recently where he has won as a big-time underdog. We'll talk about that. All right, back to the basics on these two guys. Marcin held 27 and 9 overall from Poland, 3 into 2 in his last five fights. 30 years old, 5'9 in height, 71-inch reach. He trains out of a gym called Bastion. Teach as for Miles Price, who goes by Thundercat, 11 and 9 overall, so sporting a barely above 500 record, 2 and 3 in his last 5 fights. As we mentioned before, he's from Ireland, 34 years old, 6 foot in height with a 75 inch reach. So reach-wise, 4 inches on the side of Price as an advantage, and also about 3 inches in height. I don't think he's that much taller than Marcine Held. The topology numbers are not the holy grail. I'm going to guesstimate that they're probably more like an inch apart in height. So maybe Marcin Held's more like 5'10", and, and maybe Miles Price is more like 5'11" if you catch where I'm going with that. But the reach seems to be clearly there on the side of Price with four inches. Though striking's not Price's forte, he's more of a dirty boxer and a grappler, so I don't know that the striking advantage will be there with him at distance. He's out of Team Rhino MMA. Now, looking at the numbers on Tapology, this surprised me. I took a look at it before we began the video, of course. 95% of the votes are coming in for Marcin Held. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I admit I was in that 95% when I, before I looked at the film. I'm like, oh, Marcin Held probably gonna win the fight. But 95%? Picking a side here is very dangerous. Sometimes, for example, look at the Angela Hill fight versus Godinez. There was a possibility a finish can happen. People speculated, especially with Godinez. Look at the early part of round one. She does stun Angela Hill. We've seen Angela Hill get stunned recently and come back. A women's bout. Maybe the best bet in that fight was going to be just the fight goes a distance. And that money line, or that would have probably been better than even the money line for Godinez, who's, minus 350, minus 400 at some point, you know, so certain bouts, maybe it's better not to try to choose a side or maybe choose a side because you want to choose going to win, but take the spot. That's the safest. I think this fight here is screaming of like a, over two and a half, you know, starting round three. These guys have tend to be slow starters. They take their time. They have weird approaches. Case of Marcin Held, I've, I've watched him play footies for extensive periods of time on the ground with his opponent. The long and short of it is I see the public here, 95% on the side of Held. I, I think that's um, an over-aggressive take on a fight that might be pretty close. My pick is Marcin Held. Just so we're clear here, my pick is Marcin Held, and I think the fight goes to decision. So I'm probably going to be betting the fight. again going to decision. That'll be the bet I'll be taking. I'll talk more about that at the end of this breakdown. So for Marcin Held, he went professional in 2008. So he's been a pro for 14 years. He formerly fought in Bellator. He was 14 and 3. And that's, I mean, think about that. 14 and 3 in Bellator. That's a tremendous record. He also went in the UFC for a little bit, for about a year, 2016 to 2017. Unfortunately, UFC, he was 1 and 3. So didn't have uh, as much success in the UFC. He made his PFL debut last season with a decision win over Natan Schulte. He comes into this fight having dropped his last two fights in a row via decision, and he fights out of a normal orthodox boxing stance. Prior opponents, who has he fought against? Natan Sholte twice. We'll go over each of those fights. The most recent one was this year. He was a plus 145 underdog. I went back and watched the fight. You know what I, I heard on the broadcast, which popped out to me, which I forgot? He was a replacement for that fight. Replacement meaning four weeks. I think they even said five weeks on the broadcast. That's a lot of time. For a seasoned veteran like Natan Schulte, I have to imagine that probably would be enough time to prepare against a guy who you just beat last year. The line reflected that because in his prior fight against Schulte, he was a plus 340 underdog, you see. And that was the fight in 2021 where he won that fight. But that was like a tale of two different fights and two different guys. Last year, 2021, when he fought Schulte, he caught Schulte at a time where Schulte was in between points in his career, had won already twice in the PFL, back-to-back champions, I believe in like 2000, I don't know, 18 or 19, way back in the day when no one else was even in the division, he walked through and won the million-dollar prize twice. So now, last year comes around, and Schulte's at this twilight moment of his career, not looking very good. And you go back and watch the fight. Marcin Hell comes forward, pressure right away, first round. He's landing stuff, backing up Schulte. He's got Schulte's respect right away. And that sets a tone for the way the rest of the fight goes. And he gets the win by decision. I want to say unanimous, like 30 27 on all three scorecards. Walks out of there, with a win. That was 2021 last year. Then they fight again this year, and it's a whole different situation. Natan Schulte looks tired early in the fight, looks less confident, and Schulte's coming in there like Terminator. He's the one coming forward now. He's pushing the pace. He's pushing the pressure, and he gets to win by decision. But it shows you another side of why I think the fight goes to decision. You see, Natan Schulte is the kind of guy. He could take a whooping. He could take some punishment. He'll make it to the full distance, though. And so that was a good example of how he could do that. Back-to-back fights with Natan Schulte, both going a distance. He also fought Olivier Mercier. In between those two fights with Schulte he fought Mercier last year and of course Mercier is a decisionator this guy always goes to decision and you got Marcin Held who also goes a decision and so the fight went to decision he did get cracked in that fight though OAM did drop him I think in round one or round two like he really hurt Marcin Held jumped on top of him started landing some hammer strikes the referee almost stopped the fight but he survived you see because he survives Marcin Held is a survivor a few more opponents to talk about he fought Michael Chandler back in the day 2011 To be specific, he had a round one triangle choke loss. That was in Bellator. He beat Patricio Pitbull, not Patricio, Patricio Pitbull, the brother, 2014 by decision, also in Bellator. So what's the like here about the veteran Marcin held? And when I say veteran, I mean because of the experience. I mean, 36 total fights. This will be his 37th. The guy's been around the block, but only 30 years old. He has a pretty good jab. It'll come and go. So like at some point in the fight, maybe he forgets to use it. But when he is using it, it sets things up. It's not always accurate. It's not always meant to hit his opponent, but it sets things up. He's also fought good competition. He's had 21 combined fights between the UFC and Bellator. I mean, just put that in your pipe and smoke it somewhere around, I think, 17 wins and like six losses or something like that. I mean, a good winning percentage in high level promotion. This will be his third fight this year. He fought twice last year, and he fought twice in 2020. Now, what are my concerns here about Marcin Held? He allows the more dominant fighter to take over the pace of the fight. You saw this when Natan Schulte fought him the second time. Natan Schulte made the adjustments. He went out there. He pressured Marcin Held, he backed him up, and neutralized all the aggressiveness that Marcin Held has. So when he's facing a guy who comes forward on him, That sounded weird. When he faces a guy who who comes directly at him, pushes the pace, that could be a recipe for disaster for him. He's a counter-everything, counter-puncher, counter-grappler, counter-scrambler. Everything he's doing is to counter whatever you're doing. He's not going to be pushing pace. So for Marcin Held, Held also lacks finishing ability, especially recently. His last four mixed martial arts bouts, and I specify mixed martial arts because when you go on his topology, he's got a lot of grappling stuff. But his last four fights, they've all been a decision. He hasn't had a finish in over four years, 2018, last time he had a finish, and it was, going to be a heel hook. So you're talking about a guy now at 30 years old, last time he had a finish, he was 26. These should be the prime years of his career. And that last finish was by heel hook. Another reason why, again, I think the fight goes over two and a half or the fight goes the full distance. He's fought a lot of MMA bouts in total, 36. I mean, that's a lot. Now, he's 30 years old, so you're saying to yourself, yeah, he's not that old, but wear and tear, that phrase, like, that's real. Like, that's a real thing. You can be 30 years old and go to the chiropractor, they'll tell you, like, you have the back of a 50-year-old because of whatever maybe you're doing for a living. In the case of Marcin Held, I'm going to venture that when you fought 36 damn mixed martial arts fights, and not in, like, Joe Schmo's backyard promotion bellator ufc high level for the last 10 years or so this guy's been fighting at a super duper high level winner or loss there's that wear and tear on the tires and i believe that's a factor i believe his recent fights we've seen that i'm not sure it's mentally that i see it with him like him giving up I'm not saying that i think it's slower reaction time cardio becoming a bit of an issue i think his willingness to trade he's a little bit more cautious now to trade whereas in his heyday he's going out there like i don't give a f i'm gonna go out there swinging Let's talk about Miles Price from Ireland. He went professional in 2018 with no amateur career. He fought in Cage Warriors, BAMMA, Brave CF, and Bellator prior to PFL. All very good promotions, so he's got some good experience. He fights out of a traditional right-handed stance. So These guys are both right-handed stance fighters. His prior opponents, he fought this year twice. He fought Jeremy Stevens, his last fight, lost by split decision. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that was a crazy fight. A lot of people had parlayed Stevens, and he was, like, at minus 700. It was something wild if you know anything about Jeremy Stevens, the dude has not had a win in like the last eight. F- I mean, crazy. Almost got like Sam Alvey record recently. He's a former UFC fighter in the fight. Price came in priced at plus 520. He was a 520 underdog. And this dude almost pulls off the win. I mean, he lost by split decision. It was a weird back and forth fight. One of the rounds, I think it was Larath last round, round three. Price secures that round by getting top position and never allowing his opponent up. He does stuff like this. He knows how to make fights greasy. Round one. He clearly loses round one. He's getting hit more, but he's like letting the guy hit him. He's like, let let the guy get himself worn out. It's part of his strategy. He doesn't mind getting hit a little bit. He has a little Philadelphia shoulder roll where he's trying to block like Mayweather. You know, so expect him not to even turn things on. The lights won't even go on upstairs to start fighting until somewhere midway through round two when he comes to Price. And if I know Marcin Held, Held will probably come out and play into that and like try to blow his wad and go after him and throw a bunch of punches. And if he lands something, hooray. If not, he'll get tired. Price will find a way to fall on top of him. And if he's lucky, Price that is, he finishes round one somehow like the last minute or so of the round on top on top of a tired Marcin Held. In the case of the fight with Jeremy Stevens, he loses round one. Round two is kind of close. Round three, it's like, uh, I guess you have to give it to him. It was greasy. I think Jeremy Stevens deserves the win. But back to that plus 520. As a big underdog, he's got this theme of showing up big when he's a big underdog. His prior fight, Anthony Pettis, 2022, this year, Round one submission loss, and that's not a good-looking loss. There's no way to hide away from this one because Anthony Pettis, as we know, former UFC champion, has been on a very rough run. He went over to the PFL last year, probably came in thinking, this is going to be great, win a million dollars. The PFL loved having him. (laughs) No, sir, he has had a very rough run and just lost uh, last weekend as well, no longer in the playoffs. Yet, when our boy here, Miles Price fought him, he loses. And I want to put these two losses in, into a capsule for you. Jeremy Stevens and Anthony Pettis have had a hard time securing wins over the last few years, the last few fights. It's been hard to come across a W well here. We got our boy miles price serving them both up a W that's not a good look. These are two fighters who have had a hard time recently showing all the signs of tail end of the career. And yet miles price couldn't beat them in that situation. The biggest win of miles prices career had to be the 2019 split decision win at Bellator 217 over Peter Queeley. The crowd was all ruckus. It was going crazy. And Miles Price keeps it close, makes it ugly. He was a plus 300 underdog in that spot. Miles ends up getting a win. Biggest win of his career. After that, I have no idea why, but he took a three year layoff. Now, what's to like about Miles Price? He is a very durable fighter. He's only been finished twice in his career. They were both by triangle choke, but he's never been KO'd. He has a scrappiness to him. He's the kind of person where he's not gonna go out there and dazzle you with amazing striking technique and kickboxing and Muay Thai spinning. No, that's, you know, he's just gonna get you against the fence. He's gonna fuck you up a little bit, hit you with some elbows, keep it dirty, get to the scorecards, keep it nice and greasy. That's his style. But that scrappiness is not to be underrated. It can be just enough to win a fight. And heck, it has been. He's an average wrestler, but I think that's the better part of his game. What I'm saying by that is I think he's better at that than when he does in the feet on the feet I feel like he's very defensive shoddy offense is up and down striking lacks technique but on the ground he knows a few things he knows if I'm on top I'm winning he knows not to chase a submission and lose position control he doesn't do anything amazing on the ground he's not going to cut you up or land any elbows but he knows that on top of the ground he's winning the fight there and I think he looks to take two rounds that way I mean, that's gotta be the game plan. I don't see why he wants to stand on the feet with Marcin Held, who Held will go at him just like a wild Tasmanian devil and just start swinging, hoping to catch him. And if he catches Price, yeah, he'll knock him down. Now, what are my concerns for Mr. Price? Well, number one, this weird layoff he had. I don't understand that. Now, it wasn't recently because he's had two fights recently, but he had a three-year layoff after the Queeley fight. And that suggested to some people that he was gonna be, that's it, I'm done, I'm hanging it up. Comes to the PFL. And PFL has become like maybe a revolving door of a lot of degenerate mixed martial artists. And I feel like that's what's going on with Miles Price a little bit. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, the guy seemed as if he was retired and then comes over to the PFL like, oh, this is going to be sweet. But since him coming back from that three-year layoff, he's fought two fights and he's 0-2. That three-year layoff didn't help him. The two people he lost to were guys that cannot get a win. I suspect here Miles Price is at the very tail end. We could see maybe with another loss, be three losses in a row, dropping four losses in his last five fights, possibly not getting invited back to the PFL. Bellator probably wouldn't win him at this point. Might be that time to hang it up. His longest winning streak was four fights in a row. And that was his first four pro fights. From there, it's been a roller coaster. From there, he's been below 500 winning percentage. He'll win a fight or two, he'll drop a fight. He'll win a fight, drop a fight. It's been back and forth. But I heard he's working on some projects, got some business going. I think life beyond fighting is very much, it's no longer in the rearview mirror. It's like in the front view mirror. He's looking at it. A few more concerns I have. He throws a lot of punches and kicks that have no power on them. And I, I want to emphasize this. Watch him on film and you'll see what I'm saying. They're like just touch you kind of kicks and touch you punches, and I say this because with Marcin Held, Marcin Held's not gonna have any respect for that. He's gonna charge forward anyway, and unless Miles Price gets his respect on the feet, actually claps back against Marcin Held, then Marcin Held will just come forward. He'll just try to push him against the fence. He'll try to bully him. He'll start swinging at him. I can see Miles Price balling up, and you know, got Marcin Held just swinging as hard as he can, and Mar- Miles Price would be looking to survive some of that, weather the storm. But if he can't dig his feet in the ground and clap back at Marcin Held, then those little tap punches he throws sometimes, that's not gonna do anything. It's actually gonna just add and agitate Marcin Held. A few last thoughts on this fight, guys. A few more comparisons I made. Experience-wise, we give the edge to Marcin Held. He's fought 36 total fights, compared to 20 for Miles Price. As for fighter IQ, they're both guys that I feel like at times do things that are not the most intelligent, but by no means are they dumb fighters. For cardio, I do see Miles Price having an edge here, and it's weird, he's the one who's 34 years old. The younger fighter Marcine held should be the one who's younger, fresher. But recently, I don't know again. I don't know if it's wear and tear, the punches to the head. He seems to be slowing down. Fighting style contributes to this as well. He gets a little wild, high explosive, a lot of punches. When it comes to finishing, neither guy's got me sold that they're very good finishers at this point in their career. I would be very surprised if we saw a finish, especially an early finish, maybe a round three finish because of some fatigue becomes a factor. Just over the course of time, 10-12 minutes in the cage with two grown men, something could happen. But that f- slow style of starting from Miles Price, the tendency to get some grappling going, you just imagine this fight getting into late rounds. And most likely we don't see a finish. So when it comes to finishing, I couldn't pick a side and who would get the finish. I'm not going to be betting any kind of finishing props. When it comes to striking, Edge to Marcin held. His striking technique is not Great. It's loopy. It's all over the place, but he hits hard as hell. And if he lands a few hard punches here, he can bring down Miles Price. Whereas Miles Price, technique may be better. It may look a little better technique wise, may land a few more combinations, but there's nothing behind those punches. When it comes to grappling, about even. Marcin Held likes to grapple too. So I've told you that I think Miles Price's path to victory involves some grappling. Marcin Held will invite that. He'll say, listen, you want to grapple with me? I'll play footsie with you. Go watch the Marcin Held verse. Olivier Auburn Mercier fight. They spend almost a half a round playing footsies, but I think most of the fight will stay on the feet, especially if that's what Marcine Held wants. I think he's more effective there, and I think for Miles Price, he's going to need to be on the ground. So when it comes to grappling, I I can't give an edge to either guy. And last but not least, the heart meter. Who has more heart? Who has more passion? Who's going to really put it on the line if shit hits the fan? I think that's Marcine Held. You know, watching his prior fights, he's the one who tends to get into a dogfight. He's the one who tends to say, All right, let's put strategy aside. It's now just a good old fashioned slugfest, and I want to come out on top. He did that with Schulte at the end of their last fight. I don't see that from Miles Price as much. I don't think that's the way he's wired. He's more of a finesse guy, looking for some submissions, ground control. He'll bang a little bit, but I don't think that's just the way he wants to play the game. And for Marcin Held, he may not want to do that initially, but if you pressure him a little bit, or you make him uncomfortable, or he feels like he needs a round or a part of a round, he will uncork on you. Get a little bit wild. So, when it comes to the heart meter, who I would want to take with me down a lonely alleyway in the ghetto, if I need somebody to have my back, I think I would rather take Marcine Held over Miles Price. The two props I want to talk about here, the two spots I will be betting the fight starting round three and the fight going to decision. Those numbers are not out yet. Neither are the money lines. I'm guessing that my line up opens up around minus 250 ish for Marcine Held, plus 175 to plus 185 for Miles Price. I'm guessing that. I'm guessing the fight in the distance will be sitting somewhere around minus 175 to minus 200. Yes, a bit chalky, but you know what, if I'm going to parlay this fight in some way, shape or form, I'm not going to pick a side. It's going to be so hard to choose a side. They're going to both have their moments. If it goes any way, the way miles price likes fights to go, it goes to decision and it gets greasy. I'd much rather be holding that ticket if just the fight goes to decision when it's all said and done. The fight starting round three, that might not be playable, meaning that if it sits anywhere greater than minus 250, minus 275, then I'll probably leave it alone. I just, it won't be worth it at that point. I mean, then, well, that's not true. Maybe at minus 300, you could put it to a parlay. Those are the spots I'll be playing for this fight. Thank you for listening to the breakdown. Please like, and subscribe, and we're on to the next one. Deuces. All right, boys and girls, we're at the end of the episode. I'm going to give you a summary of our picks right now, starting at the top. We like Kayla Harrison to win, Chris Wade, Larissa Pacheco, Reiji Kudo, Dakota Diceva, Jao Paulo Fagundas, Sofian Bokichu, oh, probably butchered his name. I apologize. Omar Hussein, Marcin Held in the postlim card, Abraham Bably, Tayo Adunju, Ali Talib and Rafael Uchebugu. Man, it's <laughs> my goodness, these names are tough. Now the post them fights, we didn't do much in looking into that. We kind of did a gloss over that fight. We don't have much confidence in those fights. But the main card, who I like the most in the main card, I like Chris Wade a lot. I definitely like Larissa Pacheco. Unfortunately, that money line precludes us from really betting her at all. And I like Dakota Deceva. Now Dakota Deceva is at minus 1,000. Larissa Pacheco, minus 650. What do you do with those fights? You have to find some props. The props that I like the most for this card, the fight, not going to distance with Pacheco when that prop comes out. Dicheva, not going to distance. And Simeon Powell. his fight, not going to distance. So those are the props I will look at. But kind of hard to play these big money lines. You got Kayla Harrison at <laughs> minus 5,000. The spots I'll be looking to play, though, I like that underdog spot with Ryo kudo at plus 325 with Bubba Jenkins. I like the Jao Paulo Faguna spot, plus 450. I think one of these two guys pulls it off. And then I'll be playing that Chris Wade spot. If you want to get a few more details on our parlays and what we're playing, follow us on our Twitter account. And, of course, we put all of our parlays and our bets online at Tips. You see our profile. That's it, boys and girls. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe. And we always welcome your feedback. Good luck this weekend. Deuces.